Romans 8 verse 32 is in view this morning. And uh, we know, friends, that the word of God is full of Christ from beginning to end throughout the old and the new. And here in this book of Romans, we have a book that is probably amongst the richest in all of the scriptures, certainly in terms of how incredibly full of the doctrine of the gospel it is. And some argue that of all the books in the Bible, it is the most complete exposition of the salvation of the gospel. And within that stunning letter, we come to chapter 8, which is perhaps the pinnacle, the very height, the very top of all that God says to us in his precious word. And verse 32 is a stunning treasure in that. And in this verse, we have God telling us something which is sublimely wonderful and comforting and reassuring. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Is there anything that could tell us more perfectly about the love of God? Could any statement in the world reassure us of how much God cares for his people that he should deliver up his son for us? For all who would ever trust in the Savior, for all who are moved to seek him, who are given to see their great need of the Lord Jesus. And every part of this text is full of the great love of God, full of encouragement for needy men and women like us, full of persuasion that God does love us and he will provide for us and give us what we need. You know, the great argument of this text is this. If God has given us his own son, if God has done that great thing, that seemingly insurmountable, wonderful provision, how much more then will he not give us everything else? He did not spare his own son. And the argument runs persuasively and irresistibly that then God will surely give us everything else. And so let's break this text up together and see the great truths which he is. So the first thing is very simply, God did not spare his own son. That's the first thing that we need to comprehend this morning and understand. It's a, a stunning reality. And friend, we are speaking about something which actually happened. This is true history, that God did not spare his own son. You know, many passages in the scriptures detail the way God did not spare his own son. They tell us much about the work of Jesus on the cross. They tell us how God delivered him up in time to accomplish something that had been planned before the foundation of the world. And these things are not myths, they're not legends, they're not Bible stories in that sense. This is reality, this is true history. And even unbelieving historians, they they struggle to deny that because it seems as every discovery they make only confirms the, the biblical narrative. All points to the authenticity of these things. And there is overwhelming certainty as to the fact that Jesus really did exist. He lived, he died, and he rose again. It's a great blessing to us. These things are grounded in reality. God did not spare him because he cared sufficiently for sinners like you and me that he was prepared to give his own son for us. And you see there the generosity of our God, the kindness of our God, that great demonstration of the love of our God. Friends, all too often we just easily sort of brush over those words. We read over those words. 
he did not spare his son without truly remembering and understanding what they say, what they mean. My dear friends, God gave his own son for this world. God gave his own beloved son for us, gave him up for us. We cannot fathom giving away our own children if we have known that, but God gave his own son. In the Bible, you know, you have many examples of fathers and mothers who are faced with the terrible tragedy of having to lose their own children. You know, you think of that example, 1 Kings 3, maybe some of you will be familiar with it. There were two women and they lived in one room and they both had very little babies. And during the night, tragically, one of these women had rolled over and smothered her own child. Can you imagine the, the horror of that situation? And waking up in the night and realizing what had happened, she then exchanged her own baby for the other woman's baby. And the morning came, and when they both woke up, it became very clear to the other mother that the dead child wasn't her own. And not only that, but the other woman had stolen away her living child and replaced it with the little one who had died. It's a shocking and heartbreaking incident. And so they took the issue to the highest earthly authority. They took it to the king at that time in Israel. The true mother said that the other woman had stolen her baby. And the other mother said, no, the baby is mine. The dead one is hers. And there was Solomon faced with this situation. And he wisely saw a way of discerning the truth. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. Well, the true mother's heart yearned over a, a living child and she said that she would rather the baby live and be with the other woman. The other woman said, divide the baby. And so the true mother she could not bear anything to happen to that little one. Friend, we cannot imagine, we cannot bear to think of things happening to our children. But God, whose son was infinitely precious to him, God delivered up his son to death for us. See the love of God, his own son. Consider the majesty of those words, Jesus Christ was not a man whom God found and adopted to be his son on earth. Jesus Christ is the, the pre-existent, indeed the ever-existent, the co-eternal, the non-created divine image of the Father in whom all the fullness of deity dwells. And the intimacy and the closeness of that relationship between the Father and the Son, and of course the Holy Spirit in that Trinitarian context, but such was that that intimacy of their relationship. And Romans 8.3 tells us that God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. In other words, the son existed before he took on human flesh. And so this isn't just a, a prophet, as it were. This is God the son. And in verse 32, it calls him his own son. And the point is, there are no others. That he is infinitely precious to the father. And, you know, we see that at least twice while Jesus was on earth. God said publicly, this, speaking of Jesus, this is my beloved son. In Colossians 1.13, Paul calls him the son of God's love. One son is all the father had, deeply loved, and yet he sent him. He gave him his own son. 
And then we ask the question, well, how did God not spare his own son? To what did God give him up? Well, God gave up his son to the misery of having to live in this broken, sin-sick world for 33 years. Think for a moment, one of the differences between Jesus Christ on the one hand and all his people on the other. You know, you think of the great, you know, saints from the Old Testament and throughout, Noah and Abraham and Enoch and all the rest, all the great saints of the Bible throughout history. They all left this world and they, they've gone to heaven where they are now. And where all God's people go. They turn their back on this broken world. They, they leave this world with all of its miseries and its uh, death and its sickness and its brokenness. And they go to glory where they are perfectly happy forever. But God delivered up his own son. God did not spare his own son the experience of leaving that bliss and that perfection, and that glory, and that wonder, and all of the, the heavenly hosts singing his praises and worship to come down to this world. Nobody had ever been in heaven and left it to come to this world, but Jesus Christ did. He knew what it was to be perfectly happy in heaven, blessed, have the adoration of all the angels, all the saints in glory. He knew what it was to be honored and worshipped, and having known all of that, God did not spare him the experience of coming down into this world. Can you imagine what it must have been? And God did not spare him the persecution and the hatred and the, the cruelty of men. He was the object of people's spite and jealousy. Even as soon as he was born, Herod sent soldiers to, to kill him. As soon as he preached his first sermon in Nazareth, the very people of his own village rushed him to the edge of the cliff. They wanted to throw him off to his death. Hardly had he been baptized and begun his, his public ministry when they said he, he casts out devils by the prince of devils. They insulted him by calling him a Samaritan, by saying he had a devil. They would constantly be cruel and harsh Against him, opposing him, God did not spare his own son. And God did not spare his own son, the cross. You know, too often people think of the cross as a, a symbol or in light terms, but the cross is a place of horror, a place of pain, of torture, of misery and death. And God the Father did not spare him, but delivered him up to such shame and such suffering. You know, this world turned on the perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb of God. They did all they could to name and shame him. You know, above his cross, as he was suffering there for sinners, there was his name, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, and it was poured in all the main languages of the world. And the Jews hated even the fact, even though he was on that cross, they hated the fact that such a title was on display. And so they go to Pilate and they want it changed. And they want it to say, well, he called himself the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, I've written what I've written. All the scorn, all the opposition, all of the abuse. God did not spare him the cross. God did not spare him all of that suffering of shame to which we may add even the, the deep pain and the, the enduring of the wrath, atoning for sin, even death itself. God did not spare him the experience of death. Death of a slow, lingering kind. But This is the very thing that our Lord and Saviour was delivered over to by his Father 
He tasted death and wrath for all who would ever believe in him. And verse 32 explains that this love of God for his one and only son was like this, this huge obstacle standing between him and salvation. He was this insurmountable reality. Could God? Would God overcome his cherishing, admiring, affectionate bond with his son and deliver him over? Deliver him over to be lied about and betrayed and abandoned and mocked and flogged and beaten and spat upon and nailed to a cross? Stricken, smitten and afflicted. Would he really do that? And would he then pour out the, the wrath upon him? Would he do that? You see, would he hand over the son of his love and if he would, whatever goal he is pursuing could never be stopped. If that could be done, everything else would be a small thing in comparison. And did he do it? Yes, he did. He did not spare his son. And God didn't delight in the, the pain or the dishonor of his son. It was an infinitely horrible thing for the son of God to be treated in this way. Sin reached its worst in those hours. Exposed what it was, that, that attack and rebellion against God, all sin. Our sin is an attack on God, a rejection on God. But God did not spare his son. Friend, do you understand? Do you have any idea of what he endured, what he came to do? Do you believe that that is your only hope? You know, as you sit here today, do you believe that Jesus Christ died for you to deal with your sin? Do you put your trust in this saving work, his death upon the cross? Do you realize the love of God in giving to us this glorious gift? Does it mean anything to you personally? Do you read these words and does it just wash over you with no effect? Is it something that just goes in one ear and out the other? You know, maybe you're here and you're not really thinking about what God is saying at all in his word. Maybe you're sat there now and you're thinking your own thoughts. Well, if you are in such a subject before us, shame on you. Because this Lord Jesus deserves all our attention. And if the love of God in giving his son to death in the fashion that I've begun to describe means nothing to you, makes no difference to your life, then I say shame on you. How terrible if God should not spare his own son and you and I have no concern and it makes no difference to us at all. God did not spare his son. And then God delivered him up for us all. Not only is it said that God did not spare him, but that God delivered him up for our sakes, delivered him up for us all. Who was it that put Christ on the cross? The text says he delivered him up. Don't miss it. Almost everything in the universe that is important and precious gathers here. Divine love for man, divine hatred for sin is found here. Absolute divine sovereignty and the everlasting weight of human accountability all gather here. Infinite divine wisdom and power, they're all here. When God delivered over his own son to death, you know, the Bible says that Judas delivered him over, that Pilate delivered him over, that Herod and the Jewish rulers, the Jewish people, the Gentiles delivered him over, and even we delivered him over. It says Jesus himself gave himself, delivered himself over. 
But Paul in here in verse 32 is saying the ultimate thing, in and behind and beneath and through all those, God the Father was delivering his son to death. His eternal will and purpose, Acts 2.23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands of crucified and put to death. And so in Judas and Pilate and Jewish crowds and Gentile soldiers and our sin and Jesus' lamb-like submission, God delivered over his son. Friend, nothing greater has ever happened or will ever happen in this world. God delivered him for all who would ever believe. This incredible intervention which would save people from every tribe and language and nation. This stunning gospel Reading Revelation 22, 17, and the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, let him who hears say, Come, let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. In the provision of God, there is this wonderful hope for sinners like us. It was the amazing, wonderful love of God which lay behind all that God is said here in our text to do. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying God gave his own son, delivered him up. It's a stunning thing. And now the Apostle Paul draws a conclusion from what he's just said. And it's an argument. And the argument says, well, well, if that is true, well, what then? What should we say to this? You know, well, the strong argument of heaven stands. If, if God has done this, if God has delivered over his own son, then what? Well, he shall with him surely and freely give us all things. If God did not withhold his son, he will not withhold any good thing from his people. It's a stunning promise. You know, it's the final purchase and fulfillment of Psalm 8411. Maybe you noticed it when we read through. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. How do you walk uprightly, friend? You can't unless you're in Christ. It's only in Christ that these blessings come to us. This is the promise and ground of 1 Corinthians 3. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Or the sealing of the great promise, Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. It's the foundation to the promise of the words of Jesus himself when he said, therefore do not worry, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. If Christ has been given to us by grace, if God has delivered up his own son, is there then anything that he will not give us? The answer is no. If God has given us Christ, he will give us everything else needed in this life and the next. Let me ask you a question. What is the worth that you put on Christ? 
What is the worth that you can put on the Savior? On the Son of God? What is the price that you can put on the giving of the Son of God to death, to shed his blood, to agony, to be the only substitute, to be the Savior? Can you put a price on it? You can't. And so Paul says, if God did not spare his own son, but gave him up to death, will he not also with him freely give us all things? Friend, this is a, a staggering reality. Here is the, the promise of total, overflowing, never-ending generosity and kindness from God. And what is the basis for that? Nothing less than the unshakable foundation of the death of his son for sinners like you and me. And that's the whole point of Paul's argument. You know, from the greater, the giving of Jesus, to the lesser, his provision for us day by day and into eternity. Since he did not spare his own son, that's the great thing, that's the vast thing, that is the, the insurmountable object to our salvation, delivering over his son to do this. If that can be done, then the lesser thing, the easy thing, will surely be done, and that is he's freely given to us all things in Christ. That's the strong argument of heaven. And you say, well, what sort of things will God give? You know, I can imagine sitting here that there is a true child of God and they're troubled as they've come today. Maybe their health is not so good anymore. Maybe they're wondering how they're going to get through the next week, the next month, the rest of their lives. They're saying to themselves, I've got no idea how I'm going to persevere. I've got no idea how I'm going to get through. I've, I just feel as though I've got no strength to continue and you know, maybe it's we're dealing with temptations or maybe we feel weak and weary. How can we go on? You know, maybe it's in our marriage or our job or some situation. How can we go on? Well, my dear Christian, the answer to your question is in my text. The God who gave you Christ will freely give you all the grace and the help that you need to go on. Even to the very end, God will see you through. And how do we know? Well, because if he gave us Jesus, he will give us everything else freely. And so, friend, we can lay those burdens to him. We can set them aside to him and know that if you're a child of God, he will give you everything else to bring you safely home. You say, well, what else will God give? Well, he will provide what we need in every way, even materially. And we have to trust that, friends. The Lord provides, he is no man's debtor. And we trust that he will give us what we need in accordance with his will and for our good, he will meet us in the challenges and the difficulties. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And so that's why we must take heart even when the outlook can seem bleak, even when enemies surround us and seek to take everything from us. You know, brothers and sisters through the ages have had so much taken from them and yet they've seen the amazing provision of the Lord for them. Even today, there are many brethren around the world who in the greatest adversities have been able to testify of God's remarkable sustaining and providing for their needs in the most troublesome places. You see, our God is not limited by the designs of sinful men nor are his resources exhaustible. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly. 
which I came across, maybe you've heard it before, the amusing story for one of them from the life of Martin Luther. And Martin Luther's wife, Catherine, he knew, she knew how to handle her husband. Of course, he was a remarkable man, but he was prone to being downcast often. And at one point, she noticed that he'd been in a deep mood of despair for some days. And so this is the way that she dealt with him. She uh, decided that she would play a trick on him. And so one day she came down and she was dressed in black from head to foot. So she was in a mourner's outfit, a lady in mourner. And Luther looked and saw his wife in distress. And when he saw her, he said, oh, my dear, somebody died. Somebody died. And she replied, yes, my love. And Luther asked, well, well who, who's died, my dear? Who is it? And she wouldn't tell him. And so he asked her again, please tell me, who, who's died? Who, who's, who's died? And, you know, she wouldn't tell him. And he started to get a little bit frustrated. And eventually she responded, well, I will tell you. And so Luther said, look, who has died? You've got to tell me. This had been going on for so long. And she replied, I'll tell you in a moment. And so she continued to keep him waiting. And he got so exasperated. And he asked again, who's died? And at this point she replied, my darling husband, I thought you knew the way that you've been carrying on. Did you not hear? God has died. Or so it seems. Because it seems as though you don't trust him anymore. Or that you don't think he's alive. Luther immediately saw the point. And the way he'd fallen into the trap of doubting God and not trusting him. And he was awoken and shaken from his downcast position. Now just to say, that type of counselling technique is not for everybody. But it certainly worked for the Luthers. But if God has not spared his own son, dear friends, but delivered him up for us all. Is that great God then not going to give us all things necessary that we need day by day? He will. And we can be of good cheer for our God doesn't lack, nor could any thwart his purposes. And in accordance with his will, he will provide. And who knows the glorious ways in which he will provide, not only for us as individuals or as a, a local family of the Lord's people, but across the land. It is not all finished with the gospel in our land. Some people, the way they speak, it's as though God has finished. That's it. There's no more work. We might as well just give up and walk away. But God is not finished. God's work is not at an end. And God's purposes are more wonderful than what you and I see before our faces. God has given his son. How will he not freely give us all things? And then as we draw things together, the last thing I want you to see, this last section, is that God will give grace to his people. Since he did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, he will, with absolute certainty, give us all things with him. And you say, really? All things? Absolutely. All of the Christian life is simply the fruit of that faith, of looking to Jesus, believing Jesus, living in love of Christ and setting aside that fear because the love of Christ fills our hearts. And his provision will always be enough. And that is true even to the very end, even to death. Let me ask you, are you concerned for your future? 
Maybe you've considered death more so than before. Sometimes when we hear news like we have in the last few days, it makes us think. There are times when we're conscious of our days passing by and our need to be prepared for that, that great change, that time of ultimate change. And the believer, when he sees death approaching and death facing him, let me say this, is not immune to fear. You know, sometimes you get the impression that, you know, you're meant to skip towards it. Friends, believers are not immune to fear. If we're honest, we're all a little afraid at the thought of death because death is an enemy. We know the enemy's been conquered, but it's still an enemy. And we've never been that way before. You know, we may have seen it, but we've never known it ourselves and what it will be. But dear believer, let me remind you the God who gave his son, Jesus Christ, to be crucified for us will freely give you all that you need to carry you over the Jordan into the promised land. You know, just imagine that imagery there from the book of Joshua. Imagine you're an Israelite and you were standing on the eastern shore of the Jordan and it was a rough, tempestuous, and it was breaking its banks and Joshua and the tribes of Israel are waiting to go over to Canaan and they're looking at the Jordan and thinking, how on earth? Are we going to cross? How on earth are we going to get to that promised land? And then at God's command, as the priests come carrying the ark, which is a, a picture of Christ, as soon as their feet touch the water, the water stops, studs in it, stands in a great heap, and they all go across, the millions of them, on dry land, and they get safely to the other side. That's how it is with all the people of God. They all get safely home. They all get safely across the river of death. Even our dear brother Howell was delivered home at the last. The believer does not need to fear death. It can no more harm a saint than the Jordan did any of the children of Israel. Christ has vanquished death. Christ has, has gone before his people into death. He has made the way for us to, to pass through unharmed so that we're able to cry out, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He won't fail you at the last. He endured the law's penalty on our behalf. He extracted the fatal sting from death. And so that for the believer, death is that passing. It is that doorway into the heavenly cane and the promised rest to be with Christ, which is far better. And even though we might feel those flutters of fear, our Jesus will never forsake us. And we will be brought through to be with him and our eyes will see him because God will give us grace and glory. He will bring us to the place where our eyes shall behold the king in his beauty, that land which we feel is so far off, but that land which our heart loves. We lack nothing if we have Christ. So believer, be encouraged this morning. If God did not spare his own son, if God delivered his own son for you, he will surely freely give you all things. A closing word to you if you're an unbeliever. Are you a despiser of the gospel? Are you simply a person who comes to church but you don't really have any love for God or for Jesus Christ? I pray that God would break your heart of stone. 
And if you're not moved by God giving his own son to take away your sin, if you would believe in your guilt and your filthiness to give you an everlasting inheritance in the glory of God above, if you are not moved by these things, oh, may God have mercy upon you. And would you not come at last to the Savior? Would you not realize that he is our only hope in life and death? And would you not turn from this world and the sin of your life and all the rest of it and trust in Christ and by grace receive God's greatest gift and in him to know immeasurable blessing both now and forever, the greatest of which is to know Jesus for yourself. Friend, there is nothing that compares with these things. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And what I know for certain is that in Christ the day will come when all those who are in him will bow the knee in adoration and worship and we will praise him for Calvary's pain. All praise be to his name. Amen. Amen.